0: Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. All right, well, welcome everyone. Good to see everyone. Uh, so, this is our first week. Of the uh, exploring the mind course, um, and you know this course, we're going to really focus on this practice of uh, vipassana or insight uh, from some different perspectives. Um, you know, a lot of this material that we're going to be covering uh, today and over the next few weeks is is very similar to what we saw in the the text that we did for the, the 100 day Nunjo this year. Um, so kind of going back to verses uh, five and six of that, of that practice, where we're really looking at the mind, uh, gaining a better understanding of the mind and the, and the nature of the mind. Um, so this, this next four weeks, we're gonna focus on uh, the, the kind of Hinayana presentation, how they would look at the mind, uh, the Mahayana presentation, and then we'll get into a little bit of the uh, Mahamudra and Zokchen style of looking at the mind. Um, really, as a as a preparation or as kind of a foundation for uh, our next course, which will be uh, Rimshe's text, uh, "The Secret Drop of Nectar," which which really focuses on uh, these kind of three crucial points that he uses to uh, to discern uh, or distinguish the nature of mind from, from Rigpa. So, so this course is really going to be kind of a stepping stone. Um, you know, earlier this year, we did the Nandrigon tree, the, the foundations of meditation course last, uh, this last course we did was the Saloon course where we're working with our kind of ordinary body and, and as well as our kind of subtle, uh, indestructible or Vajra body to, to work with the channels and the winds and supportive meditation um and then these next courses will really kind of hone in on the mind itself uh for preparation for this next course, which will be on Dzogchen. On so um that's just kind of the the kind of progression that we're gonna be going through. Um so I know a lot of you are familiar with a lot of these practices, and so you know if you have questions or if you have you know insights that you've had that have been helpful, or if you have um you know, maybe some, some different perspectives or some different, you know, uh, texts that you have used that have, have been helpful, um, please free, free, feel free to share those uh, just to kind of enrich the discussion. So um, so today we're really going to start, you know, I want to kind of start where Rimshay uh, left off yesterday with uh, Gumpopa's four dharmas Um, and that first dharma of you know turning the mind towards the dharma um, because it's really the the central feature of of the buddhist teachings this understanding of the mind and uh this this insight into the nature of the mind that really separates buddhist philosophy and thought and practice from a lot of other uh spiritual or religious traditions so you know, I really want to kind of focus on this idea of what is mind, what is the nature of the mind and how these kind of distinctive features of, of the Buddhist teachings uh, allow us to really enrich our practice and and go deeper into this, uh, this uh, kind of investigation or this search or this journey for uh, awakening and insight. So first I want to, you know, we we say so. Gampopa says, uh, "Grant your blessings that a mind turned towards the Dharma." Um, and I want to I want to define Dharma because uh, I think it can be helpful to helpful for our discussion. Because you know, there's various nuances to the meaning of of Dharma. So Dharma first would be the teachings of the Buddha. So that's kind of how we normally associate Dharma. When we hear Dharma, we hear we think of like the scriptures or the teachings of the Buddha um this second definite we can use is that which is authentic or true uh so there's this aspect when we talk about dharma we're talking about that which is a truth that which is real that's that which is authentic um and then the third way that we can look at dharma is dharma can also mean uh phenomena or on a more kind of personal level it can be the reality of our of our lived experience, so our own kind of life as it manifests the you know the reality of our of our own mind, the reality of our own kind of life and body, and our kind of uh, involvement with the world. So in this sense, when we when we say turn the mind towards the Dharma, we're we're turning the mind towards looking at that which is authentic and true in our own experience, in our own life, and we're relying on the teachings of the buddha and a lot of the insights that have been gained over you know the past 2000 years uh that we can kind of take these insights and apply them to to our own life and our own mind um so in that sense you know when we're turning our mind towards the dharma we're just we're rather than focusing kind of on the outer world or on our outer situation we're kind of turning the lens back on you know what is the mind what is the nature mind how can we understand or appreciate uh, the nature of the mind in our own kind of day-to-day lived experience. So um, to start with, you know, I really want to, I want to focus on this question of, you know, what is mind or consciousness? Um, Cause we have a, you know, Western, Western, uh, Philosophy or Western science has a certain perspective on, you know, what is mind, um, but the Buddhist tradition has a very kind of unique uh, presentation of the mind, and that's really helpful for uh, going deeper into some of these contemplations on the nature of the mind. So, when we talk about consciousness or or mind in the Buddhist tradition, what we're really talking about is the skandha of consciousness or the aggregate. Of consciousness. So mind isn't one thing. There's not kind of like mind in our head and then, you know, body and then the world. Uh we're really talking about an aggregate of consciousness. And so this aggregate can be described either through six consciousnesses, which is what you find in in the Hinayana or kind of the common uh foundational teachings of the Buddha, or in the Mahayana we find the eight types of consciousnesses uh, and it's not to say that these are eight kind of distinct consciousnesses but r- rather that there's these kind of eight aspects of consciousness that are together forming uh, our experience of the mind or our experience of consciousness as this kind of you know we we can kind of experience consciousness as this kind of single thing uh the single awareness of the single mind but it's actually these kind of it's this aggregate of, of these different factors of uh, our types of consciousnesses to kind of create our experience. so for the purpose of our discussion, we're going to use the the eight types of consciousness that you find in the Mahayana um, which include the the six uh, types of consciousness that you would find in the Hinayana or the common tradition. so um, does anybody i'm gonna i'm gonna exclude certain people, but uh does anybody know what the eight types of consciousnesses are? i'm gonna say Dan, you can't answer <laughs> uh John, yeah, you can't answer either um Matt, sorry let's call it i wanna pick on some uh people who don't always always uh share something every week. So any any of the eight could be whatever whatever kind of comes to mind.
1: Wasn't that a pun coming to mind?
0: There, there you go.
1: Sense consciousness and the mental, that's six.
0: The mental, you said the mental? Sense, or you the said sense,
1: sense consciousnesses and the mental consciousness.
0: Yeah, so when six. we... So the you know the uh the Hinayana or the common Buddhist perspective on on mind is is the six types of consciousness. So as Trisha mentioned, the five sense consciousnesses, which you can kind of just it's easy to remember top down. So uh, like sight, uh, sound, smell, uh taste, and then touch, which is kind of your bodily sense. Uh, so the five sense consciousnesses, and then the sixth would be mental consciousness. So this is the consciousness of we are, uh, you know, having thoughts or we're having kind of mental appearances. It's the, it's the consciousness of, of kind of mental appearances, whether those are thoughts or, or emotions or whatever it is that we're experiencing in our, in our kind of mental consciousness. Um, so that's six. And so there's two more.
1: Klesha and Alaya.
0: Yeah, there we go. Thanks Dan. So, klesha consciousness is the is the afflicted mind. And this is the mind that kind of narrates everything around this uh sense of self, this confused sense of self. And so it's this this mind that has uh because of ignorance, uh attachment and aversion, the three kind of poisons. It narrates everything of, around me and mine uh and it's kind of the uh the source for all of our afflictions this this kind of fundamental confusion about uh the way the mind exists and then the alaya consciousness or the ground of all consciousness i could i suppose you could say the foundational consciousness maybe is better better translation is the is the kind of the continuum or the kind of uh the stream of consciousness that is the, the source of all of our, you know, kind of, that's where all the seeds of our actions are planted. So all the, all of our habitual tendencies, all of our kind of the actions, all of that's kind of planted in the, in the Alaya. And that serves for as the basis for the ripening of, of our experience through uh, these other seven types of consciousnesses. So um, I wanted to share so first of all, one of the, the texts that I'm using today is the uh, Adornment of the Middle Way. So this is uh text with a commentary by uh, uh, Mipam Limshay. It's a little bit heavy, perhaps, for uh, just some leisurely reading. But, uh, you know, if you do want to do a little bit of a scholastic dive, uh, this is a really great text uh, for understanding the the way the Yogacara chara understand the two truths, uh, in relation to the mind. So, um, I do recommend it. It's a good, a good study text. Um, but I wanted to share this one, uh, quote that Mipham has about the Alaya consciousness. So this kind of foundational consciousness. So he says, the state of consciousness that is mere clarity and knowing which does not veer off into active sense cognition, and which is the support of habitual tendencies, is called the Alaya Vidyana, the consciousness that is the universal ground. The Chitramatrans consider that this is essentially neutral, neither positive nor negative. It is an awareness of the mere presence of objects, and it arises in a continuity of instance. It is attended by the five omnipresent mental factors, such as contact. It does not have a specific object of focus, but observes the world and beings in a general overall manner. Um, So, you know, there's a couple aspects here that, um, that are maybe worth mentioning. So uh, one is that this Alaya consciousness or this foundational consciousness has these, uh, five omnipresent or universal mental factors. So that means that every moment of consciousness has these five. And those five are contact or kind of a sense impression, if you will. Uh, the second is feeling. Third is perception. Fifth is uh, intention. And then, uh, I'm sorry, fourth is intention. Fifth is uh, attention. So intention, attention. And so these are uh, these are kind of universal or, or omnipresent factors that are always within any mind, whether that's a positive mind or a negative mind, um, and that those are those are part of the alaya consciousness. So what that means is that uh, the so the alaya Forms, if you, in a sense, because we talked about this last time in the Saloon course, when we don't recognize the empty aspect of the nature of the mind, we we establish a ground where there is no ground, and so that ground is the alaya consciousness. So by by mis mis or not recognizing or misconstruing the nature of the mind, we we don't realize its empty aspect and out of that we we establish a ground of being um which is this which is this alaya consciousness and so that that consciousness that has mis uh misconstrued its true nature uh is attended by these five omnipresent uh mental factors and so right there you have the basis for now we have you know contact with phenomena or sense impressions with phenomena and we're, we're undergoing feeling uh perception and and those right there are kind of uh creating this uh this you know way for the uh seventh consciousness which is the the afflicted consciousness to narrate one's experience around that, that kind of experience and so you know suddenly the 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 consciousness starts saying and it starts interpreting everything in, in in regards to you know me and that object or self and other and and then you have all these kind of mental ideas and mental formations and and beliefs about what you're experiencing uh and then that's kind of shaping your your experience of the world and so that, that kind of the foundational consciousness is really the, the substrate upon which all of that is kind of taking place. Um, And sometimes uh, let's see. So Dan mentions here, Alaya Kunji effectively is karma. It's not quite a mental state, obviously, but it's a readily apparent mental state, but it's not a readily apparent mental state either. Uh, The Vinyana is usually consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so it is. So Dan's, to Dan's point, it's not a mental state. It's not a, so Mipalm says it's, it's generally, it's considered neutral. It's not positive. It's not negative. Mental states, what we what we associate with mental states would fall in under the, the samskaras skanda or the uh, mental factors, the kind of mental formations. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, an extra layer on top of, on, top of this alaya consciousness um ben asks is it eternal so that's a good question and we're definitely going to be addressing that that you know further on our discussion um you know from a buddhist perspective it is not eternal uh but the that's not to say that it it doesn't continue from moment to moment due to karma and conditioning factors so we have it's not something that's eternal, and yet, because it's in a state of confusion, it's, per, it's self-perpetuating, in that we continue to perpetuate a cycle of it uh, unfolding. So,
2: could I Dan, jump you in for
0: add something?
2: For... Thank you, Greg. I apologize. I don't. I don't want to get in your way. Hey, um, everybody. Sorry, I'm a little bit late. It's 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 just, just past 5 a.m. here. Uh, it's a little hard getting up. do. Um, uh yeah, so you're absolutely everything you said is right. Absolutely. I just I just want to note that um it's not good or bad. There's positive, negative, and neutral. Those are the three types of Vedana, the three types of feeling. And in the five aggregates, those come in first is contact, first is perception, just raw perceptual data. And the immediate thing after that is Vedana's feeling, uh, which can be positive, negative, or neutral. Uh, so you're right that this sort of, the fourth aggregate, samskara, is when things kind of start to get online and we start to have what we consider to be coherent cognition. I care a lot about this. This is what my PhD is on. That's why I get kind of weird about it. Um, but but I, I just wanted to kind of note, note that. And, and also you're absolutely right uh, about um, your, your discussion of these eternal um permanence doesn't mean everlastingness in buddhist philosophy permanence means it doesn't change so if i have a concept say of a unicorn that i'm thinking of uh nothing about that is real but the the idea of the unicorn it doesn't change over time it sort of blinks into existence and then it blinks out of existence but from moment to moment it doesn't exhibit the kind of change that uh, a seed or a sprout actually does. Uh, the, that our biological, you know, our, our physiology actually does exhibit a moment-to-moment change, uh, and so that is that's kind of an important distinction
3: philosophically. Sorry, that's that's. All. No,
0: thank you, Dan. Those are all. Could
3: good we points. call that persistence?
0: Uh, I'm sorry. What was that, John?
3: Could we call that persistence? Was so it's like a karmic yeah. persistence.
0: I think that's a good word. Dan uh, Schreiman, you you had something or a question? Oh, you're you're still mic'd.
1: Here we go. What's popping out to me here are, um, you know, we spoke about turning the mind to the five skandhas, and we're talking about Aliyah being contact, feeling, perception, intention, attention. Well. contact feeling at contact feeling perception at least you know sounds like the bottom part bottom third of the wheel of the 12 nidanas and it sounds like we're doing different slices here of the same thing um or intersections uh maybe we're talking about different parts of the mind that seem to be intersecting here or or are we just really talking about all the same thing when we're talking about skandhas and that portion of the uh, nidanas and this description of aliyah?
2: If, if I could clarify, Dan, I'm sorry. i sorry. I don't mean to jump in on you, on you, Greg. Um, it, it's not that aliyah is those things. Those are the five omnipresent factors, uh, the sarva and, and and the omnipresent means omnipresent it means they're always online they're always they're always there so in every moment of consciousness in which those omnipresent factors are happening the alia is there that does not mean that those things are the alia right uh the alia just is as i said it's, it's effectively a bag of karma is is how a sangha talks about it um in the abhidharma uh samuchaya in the in the, in the collection of, of abhidharma uh, the Mahayana Abhidharma stuff. Um, you're, you're also absolutely right that there's a, a, a huge overlap between the, uh, the Skandhas and, and the 12 links of interdependent origination, the, the 12 Nidanas. Um, one of which of course is contact, which is also an omnipresent factor. So they're all interrelated, but they're not doing um, repetitive work is is the thing um, the you know, that otherwise they they wouldn't all be there. Uh, the fact that we have a set of five aggregates and a set of 12 links of interdependent origination by, by itself should tell you that they're, they're doing different work in the Buddhist path. Uh, hopefully that's helpful. It is. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, thank you, Dan and, and Dan uh, Shrivman That's a great insight because the, not only can you understand the Skandhas in terms of consciousness in the alaya. You know as you're pointing out there's also this connection to the 12 links of dependent origination which is kind of the, the you know the kind of earlier uh way of interpreting uh dependent origination through these 12 madonnas or 12 links and so yeah that's a great insight that they're very highly connected uh and kind of intertwined and entangled so i want i want to turn the discussion a little bit from the alaya to the klesha consciousness Before you... oh carla go ahead yeah, the uh, so question is, is the alaya vijnana um, made up of the seven consciousness before, of the, the ones before, as an aggregate? So, so like, you know what well, I mean? You've got the seven before, the senses, the mind, the uh, false perception of self, and then is the alaya an aggregate of all
1: those
2: collected together?
0: Go ahead, so Dan. Dan, you have a but yeah.
2: Th- 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 thanks, Greg. I, I don't I really don't mean to, to 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 take over. It's just my again, my, my PhD is in Yogacara philosophy and I, I just I'm I'm so happy to be able to talk to you all about this stuff. Um no, the um it it's it's not the eighth as as a crescendo of the Earth seven. It's actually the the the, the deepest sort of Uh, Bill Waldron calls it the Buddhist unconscious and argues that it does have a lot of uh, similarities with Freud's concept of the unconscious. So it is the Alia is a radically unavailable mental state that just is the place where all of the karma goes effectively. So in any moment of cognition um, from a Yogacara standpoint, uh, it starts with the Alia and the Alia sort of karma. It's not temporal. So don't you know, it's a little bit weird, but it karma kind of comes out and gets immediately bifurcated. Uh, It gets split into an in here and an out there. uh, And that is the functioning of the seventh consciousness, the the afflicted thinking mind, the klish And then out of that comes our ordinary experience. Um, So it's certainly not the total, but then because we misapprehend experience at every single moment of cognition, um, because we think there's an in here and an out there, because of that, Uh, new karma is generated. And so theres it's a perpetual motion machine of karma, which is what we are in samsara. Every moment, ignorance is operative. Uh, Karma is coming out and expressing itself in our experience, and it's also going back in. And so the Buddhist path really comes down to how and when and what are you intervening to break that cycle. Uh, Yeah, hopefully that's helpful.
0: Yeah, thank you, Dan. And I, I wanted to uh add carlo that i think it's helpful to think of the eight consciousnesses all as being uh within kind of included within uh or subsumed by the alaya and so that there's nothing that we're experiencing that's somehow like outside of the alaya the alaya is kind of the if you will the the all-inclusive sphere of mind and then everything that we're experiencing whether that's mental consciousness or sense consciousness or or the afflicted consciousness is happening, uh, it's kind of included within that, uh, that kind of bucket, if you will. So I wanted to, to focus or just shift our focus here to the Klesha consciousness and the way that that's operating in in conjunction with the Alaya. Uh, so consciousness itself is defined as clarity and knowing, or, you know, this is this term rig cell, uh, and it may be classified into eight kinds or the eight types of consciousness, uh, which are defined as the awareness of objects produced in dependence on the dominant condition of the visual organ. Uh, the alaya as the basis for different habitual tendencies is defined as mere clarity and knowing whereas the defiled emotional mind or the, the Klesha consciousness or the afflicted consciousness is a clinging to the continuum of consciousness as being the self. So this is really, uh, you know, this is the, the, you know, Rimsha talks about three types of uh, self grasping. So there's the self as the, as the kind of, uh, as this independent self uh, there's so that's the first one, this kind of independently existing self autonomous self. Uh, the second would be the self as a, as the kind of experiencer or the kind of basis for all of your experience. Um, you know, everything kind of comes back to this kind of protagonist uh, figure that is, that is central. That is Greg. That's central to my whole life um so there there's this pers- this grasping to self as this kind of experiencer and then the the third is the the grasping to the self as uh this kind of agent or uh you know it's, it's more of this idea you know in, in western context we have this idea of a free will this kind of this self that has this ability to kind of decide and and be the the agent of of uh you know it's life, and so the the cle the Klesha consciousness the the afflicted consciousness is what's kind of giving birth to uh these three types of uh self grasping now that's not to say that that this is uh that this is the root of samsara right because we've already kind of missed the boat if you will by by not recognizing the nature of the mind, not recognizing the empty aspect of the nature of the mind, and kind of giving rise to the lie consciousness. But the afflicted consciousness is when we start creating a, a story and a uh, this all kind of elaborate, you know, description of of I and this kind of identity uh, in in our life. And so, this is really the the foundational aspect. Then you get into the mental consciousness, which is obviously ideas and concepts and philosophical positions and beliefs and all of the kind of elaboration on that fundamental misperception. Uh, And all of that shapes or kind of interprets the inputs of the the five sense organs. And so, you know, we're seeing things and they, they either confirm our reality or they kind of question our reality. We hear things, they either affirm or question our reality. And so we're constantly interpreting everything that we're experiencing through the lenses of the afflicted mind and the uh, mental consciousness. And so that kind of touches on a really kind of unique uh, understanding of of form or of reality in the Buddhist in the buddhist uh tradition or buddhist teachings and that is that there is no there is no external reality that's apart from mind Um, and that can be that can be that's a very kind of controversial uh subject or topic um because we very much believe that there is a some kind of physical reality right uh it's almost like unquestioned that you know Clearly, I I exist, but it's also somewhat clear that like the world exists that there there is this kind of world uh, out out there somewhere. Uh, but from a Buddhist perspective, all of that is included within mind. It's not mind and then world or reality. It's all included within mind. Um, And that's because our experience is we can't have an experience of the world that's, that's separate from mine because our experience of the world is through the five sense organs. Uh, And those are themselves dependent on, you know, visual consciousness connecting with uh, an eyeball in this case, a visual organ, and then a, visual object. And so those three are completely interdependent conditions that are are operating simultaneously. There's no kind of real world real consciousness and those are kind of independent things. We're perceiving the world through all these filters of my own visual consciousness as well as my own perception and my own kind of beliefs about what I'm seeing, my own kind of mental formations. Uh, All of that's kind of, uh, in a sense, coding our experience to kind of produce this kind of final result, which is I see a table. And so all of that is, is this kind of interdependent process. And there's nothing that is, there's nothing that we can perceive out there that's not through this filter of the mind. Um, Jenya, you had a question or comment?
4: Yeah, uh, Greg, could you please speak a little bit if, if you think it would be appropriate in this context about the quote sequence? Um, unquote because there are different philosophical uh, views of what happens first. Like, for example, our uh, sense faculties engage, and then all of the subsequent um, thing happens, and then Alaya gets stored the karma, or the perception is that Alaya shapes everything, and then after that we kind of everything cycles up and this is how we are essentially engaged with that external object.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Jenya. Thank you. So the the usual way that we understand this evolution or this development uh, is through the five skandhas. And so consciousness, the aggregate of consciousness, and I want to come back to this idea that when we talk about mind consciousness, we're referring to it as an aggregate because there's a lot of things that are happening at once. Uh, but the aggregate of consciousness, like like we mentioned before, has these kind of five universal uh, or omnipresent mental factors. Uh, and so because of that, there's contact or there's kind of uh, some kind of sense impression, which produces a feeling. Feeling is the second skanda. And feelings are, are interpreted, as Dan said, either positive, negative, or neutral. But we're having some kind of tone to that feeling Uh, and then perception is discerning the various kind of qualities of that experience which is the third perception is the third skanda Uh, and then fourth we have the mental formation so now we started developing ideas or thoughts or concepts about what we're experiencing and then fifth is the development of the form or rupa skanda and that's the fifth element which is table in this case uh, but all of that is going through this uh, this kind of evolution or this kind of progression of uh, development in order to produce what we're calling Greg experiencing a table. And so conscious, it, they kind of evolve through uh, actually a little bit, generally they're, they're presented form feeling, perception, mental formations, and, and consciousness. That's the five skandhas as they're kind of traditionally presented. But when we think about how they evolve, um, consciousness has a feeling, perception, mental formations, and then form. And so consciousness separate from form is, uh, is uh, something that we can't experience. And so I want to bring out this quote that Mipom had um, because it touches on on this idea of of consciousness and form. Uh, So the Chittimatra approach emphasizes the fact that no matter how real and solid external objects may seem, all of them including our knowledge about them and their apparently objective constitution occurs wholly within the sphere of consciousness. This carries the important implication that even if one accepts the objective existence of phenomena separate from the mind, their extra mode of existence, if there is such a thing, is by de- definition unknowable. To reach beyond the mind and to experience phenomena exclusively from their own side in a complete self-contained objectivity is impossible as it is for us to climb out of, their, out of our own skin. Indeed, the very supposition that there is a mind and there is a world and a separation between the two are themselves mental events or mental ideas or concepts. Um, So this is, you know, again, this is something that is, uh, it's challenging to to kind of wrap our head around how, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, everything is, is subsumed and contained within uh consciousness see dan had a absolutely but included in mind is not yeah yeah it's not to say solipsism where everything is mind uh or that everything's kind of in here um long chempa is beautifully clear about this in the commentary to resting in the nature of mind yeah that's not so that's not to say that everything is uh included like everything exists within mind but but more that this idea of if you just kind of touch back into dependent origination that there is no truly existing self and there is no truly existing other instead what's happening is this kind of infinite play of dependent origination which consciousness is is going through all these filters to kind of create our experience and then saying that there's some kind of substantial thing there that there's this gregness you know aware of this tableness, and that both of those things are kind of substantially real and concrete uh and so that's really the source because of that confusion then we have all these reactions this is either for me or against me and we have all these kind of all there all these other processes that start to kind of get loaded on top of this uh this fundamental misperception. John, were you going to say something?
3: Um, I, I think I was going to say that we, we often mistake all of this hullabaloo as, as the compiler, as the self of all this, you know, cause we're, we're hearing about all these different things. And, and one of the questions that came to my mind was, well, what brings it all together? Well, well, nothing brings it all together. It's simply experience. And that's the, and that's the the issue is that we try to, we try to label it and we try to conceptualize it and we try to have it make sense in context but in reality it's just input it's just experience
0: yeah so is it because i want to take a little bit of time here to to look at the way that the hinayana tradition looks at the mind uh to understand the mind so i know we've kind of Presented here this idea of like what is mind when we say mind? What are we talking about? And so does everyone kind of understand? Is this is this presentation of the eight consciousnesses and the way they're kind of interwoven or kind of entangled to kind of create this What we call this experience of the mind or this experience of the self. Does that make sense? Good So Let's just shift gears a little bit to looking at that mind, uh, you know, which is really the, the topic of this course is exploring that mind. Now that we know what we're talking about, let's look at it and and see what kind of insights or kind of, uh, you know, what kind of true truths that we can kind of start to appreciate or or kind of distinguish once we are discerned, once we kind of look at the mind. Um, and there's a couple of different ways that we can do this. So, you know, generally we can talk about two ways of looking at the mind. One is an analytical way using, you know, reason and logic and, and, uh, going through this kind of analytical approach. And then the other is, is the, is kind of direct perception or this kind of directly looking at the mind. Uh, and so the Hinayana and the Mahayana sutras deal with the kind of analytical approach this kind of reasoned analysis using logic and and all this kind of stuff Uh, and then the uncommon traditions of mahamudran zogchen use the this kind of uncommon way of, of looking at the mind which is is direct directly looking at the mind itself uh free from uh this kind of analytical approach so Today you know john's gonna to touch a little bit on the on the traditions uh method or, or way of looking at the mind in a few weeks um, but today i'm i'm gonna primarily focus on the the analytical method that you'd find in the the Hinayana uh and first is the this this kind of uh method of Orienting your experience or observing your experience, or this kind of perspective, through uh, what the Hinayana tradition might call the the three marks of existence is how it, sometimes it's translated. Um, but you also find it in the the four the four seals, uh, which are kind of the central tenets, if you will, of the Dharma. So, anybody know what the four seals are? Dan does. Anybody else? Maybe you don't know all four, but maybe you know three or, or one. John? Come
3: on. Am I eligible?
0: You're eligible.
3: <laughs> okay. So the four seals are um, uh, appearances are selfless, uh, appearances are interdependent. I think that's right. Uh no, impermanent. Um, all tainted states uh, are suffering. And Nirvana is peace. I think that's the last one.
0: Yes, that is all four. So uh, impermanence, the second is uh, dukkha or suffering. The third is selflessness or emptiness, and then the fourth is Nirvana is peace. Um, And the fourth one's kind of distinctive to the Mahayana tradition. the, The the Hinayana tradition, I think, only had three. No, Dan?
2: No, 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 no. Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't mean to contradict you, Greg, but no, that's the, the four seals are, are, are pan-Buddhist. Um, Nirvana is peace in, in non-Mahayana traditions. Uh, you know, Hinayana is fine to talk about when we're speaking from a Mahayana viewpoint, as long as we understand that these are not people, these are not things that people yeah. actually believe. Like, I am a lesser vehicle practitioner. I'm not as good as those other people. That's not a coherent thing to think, yeah. uh, the people that that, that uh, you know embody what we're talking about from the Mahayana perspective these days are Theravadins. Um, I, I just wanted to note. Sorry, to, that's like a thing for me. Um, I just wanted to note it's uh, in, impermanence, uh, suffering, and so forth. You're absolutely right, but the the subjects of all of them slightly change. So um, yeah, all, all all appearances. What is it? All appearances uh, are. Uh, um Yeah, all, all appearances are impermanent. Um, all compounded phenomena are. Uh, yeah, all, all compounded phenomena are impermanent. I apologize. Uh, I just wanted to kind of note that the there are subject poles to, to each of these four that are also important. I just don't have them at the top.
0: Yeah. Um. So the the reason I I said that the the Hinayana is they talk about three, uh, seals is that I know in the Pali tradition, they actually explicitly talk about three seals, which are, uh, and they use this, this kind of, you find this a lot in the Pali sutras where it says, uh, you know, the Buddha is talking to someone and, and they ask this question and he he goes through this, uh, this kind of repetition where he says, it is impermanent. Or this is, so like, let's just say we're using consciousness, right? This is impermanent. This is suffering. This is not self. And this he uses this kind of triad of this. It's this, It's almost like this mantra that they use uh, in contemplation when they're kind of contemplating their experience or contemplating any of this. And they say, this, this is impermanent. So consciousness, right? It's It's constantly changing. It's impermanent. This is suffering and and in, in suffering here dukkha dukkha is the real sanskrit you might have to to maybe open up your your the the basket of meaning for, for dukkha in the sense that it's not just the suffering of suffering the dukkha of suffering but we also talk about the dukkha of change and then uh all pervasive dukkha which is just the dukkha or the the suffering or the dissatisfaction of conditioned existence and so if you have any kind of if it, if anything is conditioned by dependent origination, by by anything, then that that has the nature of dukkha, and so that's the all pervasive dukkha. Yeah,
2: um, it, 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 sorry, sorry, Greg. It, you, yeah, I, I just want to say we're we're both right, effectively. That uh, Nirvana's piece as the fourth pole of a set of four. I don't know if that's Mahayana or not. Um, but uh, you know, but we can't say that there's no concept of Nirvana in in Pali traditions, obviously. Uh, but but what you're speaking about is a what I understand to be a different set of three, uh, the three marks of existence, everything ordinary that exists, as you say, is, uh, is impermanent, is selfless, uh, and is suffering.
0: Yeah. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really sure where the, where that fourth, when we talk about the four seals, we generally always talk about whether Hinayana, Mahayana. Uh, and so I don't know where that kind of, you know, we talk about the three marks we can maybe use it's better to use these kind of two different terms, the three marks of existence, which is this kind of very common, you know, Pali contemplation kind of technique. And then the, the four seals or the four axioms, which are kind of central tenets of the Buddhist tradition. They're very obviously related because they're dealing with a lot of the same subject matter, but they're a little bit different because as, da, as Dan's saying, the four seals are kind of usually uh there's they're statements they're not just like uh single terms, and so you know all conditioned phenomena are impermanent, all contaminated phenomena are are suffering by nature uh you know all phenomena are selfless emptiness, nirvana's peace that's more of a statement, so those are the four seals but they're they're very much connected to these three marks of existence which are impermanence uh uh, dukkha and then not self or selflessness Jenya, were you going to add a question something
4: yeah I, I was uh going to ask actually um i heard the version of the fourth seal that uh nirvana is beyond concept so not nirvana is peace um could, could be uh could it have that type of of implication um, in the um, Theravada tradition if it is beyond concepts there is like what's the point of discussing it so perhaps that's why um, it is not elaborated as much and and we tend to see the main three ones um, are probably elaborated on could that be possible
0: yeah I mean I I really don't have any idea actually but um, but anyways for the topic today So this is one way that we can contemplate our own experience of the mind, right? And so we can use this kind of analytical method or this kind of, uh, this slogan, if you will, of when we're having this maybe really intense emotion, maybe we're really angry. We can say, this is impermanent. This is dukkha. This is selfless or not self. And then maybe that will give us a little insight to realize that this anger that's kind of, you know, bubbling up in our experience, that we're not that anger. That's not, you know, just, there's a little space there. Um, and so we can use this kind of contemplation to just kind of break through the rigidity or the, 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 uh, the kind of substantial substantiality that we normally associate with uh, with our experience of the mind. Dan, were you going to say something, Dan Treibman?
1: Can you say something to the apparent paradox that the third mark of existence is non-existence?
0: The, yeah. So the, uh, I mean, definitely that would be, you know, because from a Buddhist perspective, whatever is dependently originated, originated is is empty, right? It is selfless. And so, you know, in the, in the, in the Hinayana the foundational schools, we use this analysis of, breaking apart our experience into these kind of aggregates right so the five skandhas we can also break apart our experience of you know visual consciousness into like object organ consciousness and so that's an aggregate and so they're kind of always breaking things down into these kind of like parts if you will like there's the metaphor of breaking a wagon down right if you break it down, at what point is a wagon and what, at what point is it not a wagon, you know? And so when you start to kind of look through or look at your experience through the context of selflessness or not self or uh, you're doing so by by locating how all of these things are kind of interconnected or dependent on each other. And so before, when we talked about consciousness and then those five omnipresent. Sense factors, right, or not? Not sense factors. Those five omnipresent uh, mental factors. Um, right there, you see this process of dependent origination, because there's the alaya consciousness, which is just this kind of mere clarity and knowing, which has contact or some kind of sense impression, and then, based on that, there's feeling. Based on that feeling, there's perception. Perception gives rise to, uh, you know, mental formations and then form or perception of form. And so all of these things are kind of this, this kind of entangled mess really. Uh, and so when we're breaking apart our experience into all of these different kind of parts, we can say that because it's broken down into parts, it's conditioned. And because it's conditioned, we know that it's true nature is, is not self or or selflessness or emptiness. And so, you know, from a buddhist perspective this is really kind of the key insight that the buddha had that distinguishes him uh his teachings from really all other teachings uh of the world so jenny were you gonna add something yeah
4: there can be also um useful to um draw a distinction between existence and um uh kind of how things exist so empty doesn't mean non-existent it means essentially that it doesn't have any inherent nature and if we we just think about the word existence per se then um it kind of gets us entangled with all this stuff right so all this all all those particles exist uh like uh different schools um uh, uh stipulate or is there a really true existence unbroken peace of mind uh mental uh, activities so um existence and emptiness are slightly different things it, it uh buddhism doesn't really deny existence but it says that uh it doesn't really it's not really what you think it is essentially which means empty
0: yeah yeah i always think it's helpful to think of you know emptiness and existence as this kind of Paradox between it's not it is and it's also it is not Uh, It's between those two extremes of negation and affirmation Dan you had something?
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I I was I was gonna say more or less exactly what what Jenya said to to Dan's questions. So thanks a lot, Jenya. That was was beautiful Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's not about existence or non-existence. It's about stuff not being the way that it seems um, I mean, Nagarjuna is extremely clear about this in the verses versus the Middle Way. Um, you know, it, it is very useful and important to distinguish between emptiness and existence, but we don't want to go so far as to think that they're completely different things um, because the emptiness is the lack of extra, basically. Like, we we think, we grasp ourselves as being sort of in here and, like, I'm the same guy that woke up, you know not long at all before I joined the call. Um, I, I think that this cup is sort of stably occurring and it's coffee and it's really coffee. And that's just not actually true. Those are convenient fictions. So that so it's, we're not dealing with negating stuff that exists. We're dealing with calibrating how things actually exist when we're having that conversation.
0: I just wanted to, so Matt noted in the comments that the four seals are stated in the Sutra uh, questions of the nag King sagara so that would be uh you know based on the you know the Pali sutras and so uh so those are definitely spelt out in the kind of common core uh Buddhist scriptures so thanks Matt, it, uh, uh, Matt our yeah there.
3: it it says in the bodhicharya avatar that uh, in chapter nine that the point of all this emptiness isn't to prove that things don't exist, but that there's a release from suffering, that, that grasping at them as if they are permanent. and re- if, if you grasp at things as the opposite of the three marks of existence, then it causes suffering. If you think they're permanent, it causes suffering. If you think it has a self, it causes suffering. If you, if you heap emotion onto a mental state, It's, it's suffering. And, and this is, this is what it's trying to prove. It's not about, Oh, everything's blank. It's about don't grasp to it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, John. Um, so we're getting at the end of class here. And so I just want to tie up kind of bring all this together. So, you know, when we're looking at mind, Um, you know, we can use these three marks of existence to kind of look at the mind or contemplate the mind. We can use dependent origination to look at the mind or contemplate the mind. And we kind of, we did that through showing this kind of evolution of, uh, consciousness into the five skandhas, as well as, uh, you know, as Dan pointed out, there's also this evolution of the 12 links of, uh, which happens, so we can use that kind of analysis to show how consciousness gives rise to, to form and contact and feeling. And those give rise to, uh, to, you know, grasping and craving, and then those leading to becoming, and then all of a sudden you have birth, aging, sickness, and death. And so you, know, you can contemplate that kind of evolution, uh, to show how dependent origination is, is showing that all these things are, are kind of conditioned and therefore not self or empty. Um, but the point here is that when you when you apply these methods to these three types of ignorance so this the ignorance of self being kind of this independent autonomous person uh, or the second self as this kind of experiencer or the kind of you know protagonist of your life uh, or the the self that has free will or this kind of like you know this kind of actor who's kind of making decisions um, each of those three types of self grasping grasping can be broken down through this types of analysis so we can show that we're not independent uh, because you know we have these five skandhas and and all of this is kind of our our experience of the self is all conditioned by these kind of processes that are, are that are unfolding um we're also not this kind of experience or that's you know somehow the Greg that's continuing from when I was five until when I was 20 until now like yeah I'm different yeah my body's different yeah my thoughts are different but like there's still some like some like Gregness that was kind of continuing from from birth to now right there's there's some kind of protagonist to the story that that's actually that's actually me you know um, but even that can be shown because experience itself is a dependent it's dependently originated right and so none of those kind of instances of of greg are any more kind of real or or established or truly existing than uh than any other so um by showing that experience itself this this way that experience is formed is is itself dependent uh shows that experience is a dependent phenomena it's a conditioned phenomena And therefore it's, it's empty. It's emptiness. Um, And then this idea of like free will, this kind of actor who's kind of in this kind of in charge, making all this decisions of our life and and kind of steering us uh, on our course. Um, Even this can be shown to be empty because how can we make any decisions? How can we make any, you know, uh, how can we make any kind of, uh you know point or establish anything that's kind of you know me doing this free from all the conditioning factors that are influencing that decision right uh so that's how i like to think about free will is that yes we have the the chance to choose and we can make decisions and we can have these intentions but those are all conditioned by our environment by our karma by our you know habits by our life um Jenny were you going to add something?
4: Greg, I really appreciated your clarification and I think the beauty of the buddhist tradition in its totality is that there are different ways to approach that selflessness and break down the um actual suffering. That's what John mentioned, right? So all of it um kind of if you believe in this you end up suffering, but there are <clears throat> from the buddhist past standpoint a past standpoint uh the entire point of the discussion of the mind is that it kind of gives a sense of uh, possibility and opportunity, and the entire Buddhist tradition gives us different avenues to get there. Uh, no matter how you go, you'll get there, and that's why uh, it is so powerful because um, there is a variety of different um, methods for pretty much everybody to choose from.
0: Yeah, Jenny, and that's you know that's really where this this kind of analysis or this investigation of the mind really moves is that we move from a very stuck perception of who we are in the world around us where everything kind of seems very rigid and concrete and we move into more of a sense of openness and flexibility and opportunity and you know specifically as we're looking at the mind as we're looking at the self or consciousness uh what we start to find is this kind of insubstantiality that like at one time we thought things were very kind of real and established and substantial. uh, And then as we start to understand the mind and start to, to look at the mind in this way, we start to realize the insubstantiality of the mind that what we once thought was very real and fixed and established now has this kind of openness and this kind of, uh, you know flexibility and this kind of potential that that we weren't really necessarily appreciating or attuning ourselves to um, and so now we start to realize okay well, so my mind's not that thing right it's not this uh this kind of you know i at one point I thought the aggregate itself of consciousness was real like that was that was that was me that was greg that was you know, whoever I am. And I thought that was actually real. Now I'm starting to see through that kind of uh, illusion and I'm starting to realize the insubstantiality of mind, how this, clearly I'm still having an experience. Clearly I'm still, I have mind, but now I'm starting to like think about, or maybe appreciate some of these kind of finer qualities of the mind. And, you know, you can start to tune into, these qualities and, and the aspects of the nature of the mind. So we talk about, you know, we talked about, and Jenny will talk about this next week, this mind of, of luminous cognizance or, or, or clear knowing or rig cell. Um, and you can start to appreciate the, the kind of empty aspect of the mind and the clarity aspect of the mind. You can actually start to tune into those aspects in your own practice. You can actually start to appreciate how there's these different uh subtle layers to the mind that were previously kind of blocked off because we were very stuck in this kind of outer outer shell of perception rather than uh taking a deep dive into the, the mind itself so you know we're going to continue to talk about this over the next few weeks jenny's going to talk about uh this luminous uh knowing next week matt's going to explore. Um, the, uh, the Mahayana perspective on understanding the mind uh, from the perspective of the two truths uh, in a few weeks. And then John will, John will and that's, those are kind of all within this kind of umbrella of this kind of analytical approach to understanding the mind. And then John will look at the, uh, this kind of direct method of, of Mahamudra for looking at the mind. So um, I know we're a little bit past today. Does anyone have any questions before we wrap up? All right. Well, thank you, guys.